As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic, alternatively titled Screaming on the Internet about Ryan Day's coaching hiring decisions. Bill Landis here with Ari Wasserman. Ari, tell me everything you know about Parker Fleming. If I like pause and like feel uncomfortable, is that going to add into the outrage from the fan base yeah i don't know if like people, people thought that like the team don't know who the hell the guy is yeah <laughs> no i I've, you didn't know who he was no no i didn't know who he was yeah 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 i mean i saw what josh perry tweeted i remember his name from a few years ago and like he had been around the program and was somebody that you know seems to you know have a a nice voice within the program and when former players speak out in support of somebody who just gets it like i you know it, it's a good sign, but you know when it comes to coaching hires, I, I just didn't know what people thought was going to happen. Do they think they were just going to get Belichick to be the defensive coordinator? Right. And I know that like in the past, like Greg Schiano was a big name, and they made some pretty big hires. And you know, we'll get into this and whether or not that's like the rational expectation. But I think that there's like eighty five percent of assistant hires, you just have to blindly trust your head coach. Because, like, who are we and who are you at home to be like, this is a bullshit, terrible hire? It's just like, what you don't, you never met the person, you don't know what you're talking about. And, like, Brian Hartline is like the fan favorite. And it's just like the only thing that people knew about Brian Hartline when he joined the staff was that he used to play there, you know? And it just, 
if they have a knack for coaching or a knack for recruiting, that's not always something that's going to be evident before the hire. So, you know, I, I know that this is a, a fan base that has been scarred by some bad assistant hires. I know that Urban Meyer's downfall uh, at times, if you won't even want to call it that, at the end of his career was making questionable coaching hires. But if you trust Ryan Day and you trust the coaching staff, I think there's an element of like taking a leap of faith that you have to do to get your head around some of these types of things. Yeah, so uh, as a refresher for anyone who's listening and doesn't know uh, what we're talking about, uh, Ryan Day on Wednesday announced that he was promoting Parker Fo- Parker Fleming, who was a quality control coach, to special teams coordinator, and that is to fill the role on the staff that was held by Greg Madison, who retired. His retirement was official on uh, Monday. So Parker Fleming is now full-time assistant special teams coordinator. I, I think the more interesting move, and, and honestly the, the thing that I think people are are – angrier about if if they're angry or or disappointed in or let down whatever is matt barnes is moving to secondary coach matt barnes for the last two years has been assistant secondary coach special teams coordinator he was hired on on day's original staff in 2019 and Kerry combs is the sole coordinator there's no more co-coordinator co-coordinator greg madison had that title last year no one is picking it up uh this year i asked ryan day that specifically he said no doesn't mean it can't happen down the road but but for right now they're moving forward Kerry combs is the only person with a coordinator title so parker fleming i don't know he's got an interesting background he he was at ohio state in 2012 and 13 i believe and then he went with everett withers to james madison and parker fleming is a offensive coach he was a receivers coach james madison he became the uh co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Texas State whenever Withers was there, and then he came back to Ohio State as a quality control coach and has been here, I think, since uh, 2018. And he was working with the special teams. So he has familiarity there, and Ryan Day talked a lot about continuity, and I think whatever they've been learning on special teams the last two years in their map bar is going to continue, and I think there's value in that. What was always going to be more interesting about this is is where Ryan Day was trying to take the defense, and if he wanted to go outside and make a splashy hire, which I guess was on the table, um, if he wanted to bring in an established position coach who maybe was going to get a co-coordinator title or, or have an influence in the game plan, he didn't do any of that. He just promoted from within. They actually have fewer defensive coaches now. They had five last year, and unless Parker Fleming is going to start coaching defense in some capacity, and I don't think he will, they're going to have four this year. Kerry Combs, Matt Barnes, Al Washington, and Larry Johnson. So the unbalance is a little interesting, um, and I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised by that. I'm not totally surprised overall that this is the direction that Ryan Day wanted to go, but he is kind of doubling down, I guess, on, on his previous decisions. He's giving Kerry, giving Kerry Combs an opportunity to prove that he's the right guy for the job. He's giving Matt Barnes a ton of responsibility to really kind of – teach the back end of the defense in a way that he wasn't doing before and, and taking that off of Kerry Combs's plate and, and freeing Kerry Combs up to be a, a full-time coordinator. And I, I, it's like natural inclination to, to deem a decision right or wrong the second it's made and like not wait for the process to play out and see. But I, I, am, I am also like understanding of some of the reaction we've seen to this decision in a world where Ohio State just got spanked by Alabama in the national championship and Nick Saban has staff openings and he goes and hires two former NFL head coaches. Well, and I think that's the most discussion, the most interesting part of the discussion that we're going to have is just, is Nick Saban's route hire somebody that has a recognizable name, whether it be Bill O'Brien, Lane Kiffin, uh, Sarkeesian, whatever you want to say, and continually hire people that, that, have name recognition and then turn those people into head coaches elsewhere 
Um, is that like something that you would try to duplicate and, or is that just like a Nick Saban thing, you know, because it's just duplicating what the greatest coach of all time is doing. Isn't just be like, okay, well, we're Ohio state. We can do that. Like, I don't think that's a, it's a fair thought process. And Ryan day, who is up there now with Lincoln Riley and, and maybe as close to surpassing him, given the trajectory of each program, um, isn't still in that same legacy department as a guy like Urban or Nick Saban. So from a realistic standpoint, the duplication of that isn't something that just happens. That's something that takes years of experience. Uh, Everybody knows that Nick Saban is somebody who is good at taking recycled coaches or coaches who have openings for good or for bad uh, on their resume and turning them into candidates again because Alabama is kind of the secret sauce that everybody wants to duplicate. But I don't know that it would be the healthiest thing for the program right now for Ohio State to just go find the big-name defensive coordinator that happens to be a free agent right now and try to like do what Saban does because that's not the position their coach or their program is in right now. I mean, th- that's a Saban thing because he's, he's hiring – I don't know, actually, if he hired Doug Marone, the coach's offensive line, and I'm not sure if Doug Marone and Nick Saban have any previous connection. I know Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban don't, and like he hired Bill O'Brien to be his offensive coordinator. So only Nick Saban is capable of going to fired, recently fired NFL head coaches and, and bringing them to college to be position coaches and like rehab their careers. No one else is doing that. So if you thought Ohio State was going to do something like that, I think you're kind of crazy. But there's also a step below that that is still above what Ryan Day just did. And that's to go and get an established college defensive coordinator. Like, go get Marcus Freeman. Go get, um, I don't even know, not Brett Venables because he's not leaving Clemson. But, you know, somebody of of that ilk. But to do that would be to admit a mistake in hiring Kerry Combs last year. And I don't think Ryan Day is ready to do that yet. It it might prove that hiring Kerry Combs to be a defensive coordinator was a mistake. I don't think anybody can make that determination after eight games. I know the Alabama game sucked. And that was, like, probably the worst display of defense I've seen. Um but the Clemson game was really good, and Ryan Day talked about that, and it's like kind of hard to analyze both of them. Like, how can you be so good against Clemson and so look so terrible against Alabama? And like, the answer is Alabama's awesome, and Clemson's offense was kind of okay once you got past Trevor Lawrence. Um, but I get like not wanting to co- totally scrap that idea. So, bringing in a big name savior coordinator to like help Kerry Combs or supplant Kerry Combs, I just don't think was ever on the table. Um, but I did think that maybe he'd go get a position coach that had a little bit of cachet and, and had some experience in the kind of defense that they wants to run. Cause again, Kerry Combs is not particularly well-versed in that style of defense. And like he, he, he did do that and he didn't do that. And I can talk about that later, but about like Matt Barnes's background and how he kind of fits in that role. But where did you think he was going to go with this? Was, did you think he was going to do this? Did you think he was going to like meet somewhere in the middle? Did you think he was going to go make a really splashy hire? The name that always stuck out to me once all this was happening was always Marcus Freeman. I don't know exactly how realistic that was, but you know now he is at Notre Dame as the defensive coordinator, and if you give him the co-defensive coordinator title at Ohio State, I think those are pretty comparable jobs, and one is his alma mater in the state that he has been coaching in and has recruited and has the most inroads in. Yeah, but he wouldn't have now, done that. Yeah, no, I know, but I'm, I'm saying like in— Why would you? Well, why? Like, what do you think would be the reason why you wouldn't? He was he was I understand like it's Luke Fickle's the head coach, so like Luke Fickle's probably actually the defensive coordinator, but Marcus Freeman had the defensive coordinator title. He had the opportunity to go to Notre Dame and be the defensive coordinator there. Why would he come here to be a co coordinator? Yeah, I just like a matter of how much you think co coordinator, like sometimes I think like these titles are just semantics, you know, and I, I don't know. They can be. 
I, I don't know how much stock I put into them. Obviously, better title probably means better salary. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Ohio State would have been willing to pay him. But this is the name that was in my head before the Notre Dame hire happened. So now sure. looking back in hindsight, it's easy to say, why would he do that? But if you would have said Marcus Freeman can be the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State after last season, before this happened, I think he would have done that in a heartbeat. I mean, he played at Ohio State. It's uh, a place that everybody wants to work. They're competing for national championships. Luke Fickle, the coach that he has been learning under, became a head coach by being a longtime defensive coordinator um, at Ohio State, and it is a path to becoming a head coach. And I'm not saying that Notre Dame isn't. It certainly is. But, you know, in terms of of a, a diversity hire, a guy who has a background in recruiting in the area, um, also coached at Cincinnati and um, is a place that Kerry Combs is very familiar with. I think those two would have um, had a pretty good job of gelling. Um, and, of course, Kerry Combs and Marcus Freeman are two different ends of the spectrum in terms of, of race and age. And I just think that, like, on paper, the fit would have been perfect. Yep. Um, so I, I don't know if this isn't something that's, like, missed opportunity. It's just a discussion point. But... I didn't think that it was going to be like a Lane Kiffin type defensive, the the Lane Kiffin um, equivalent version or equivalent. Yep. Thank you for for what they would have done, but I thought for sure that they had an opportunity to bring in a rising star. And it's like Marcus Freeman might be the head coach uh, of a low tier Power Five school or a, you know a MAC team or something like that in like two years now. Um, and you know he's proven time and time again to to be successful at this job, and he learned from somebody that has been a very good defensive coordinator. So, um, no, that's kind of where I was going into this. But at the same time, too, I try to think if you hired the – like if Lane Kiffin were just available right now, and I'm just making this up, don't get caught in the semantics of offense and defense. But, like, adding somebody like that who has been a head coach or has a personality like that who would have been a sexy hire, I'm not necessarily sure is good for the continuity of the coaching staff either. Like, this isn't Alabama. Alabama has a revolving door of being able to replace people like this and bring people in. And, like, Bill O'Brien was an NFL I mean, they have some pretty crazy big-time stars in the coaching world going there. And it's just like, I think you need to find the right balance between up and coming coach or somebody who fits within the staff. Because if you're convinced that Kerry Combs is the person to design this defense, you also don't want to put too many cooks in the kitchen. So Mm -hmm. like, I understand the balance of that. And I think too, like if Ohio state would have lost to Alabama 45 to 38 or something, and it was a more competitive, exciting game, and maybe they got two or three more stops, that like the sour taste in your mouth from the national championship game might have actually changed the way that people are reacting to this. But when your last experience as an Ohio State fan is watching your team get embarrassed by Alabama and you not physically being able to get a stop, like there was no correct answer outside of hiring a Marcus Freeman type or a big name guy for people to be excited about because they're so still devastated by what happened in January. I thought they might go to the NFL to find somebody, and there were guys whose names came up um, when he was building a staff the first time, and even last year when he hired Kerry Combs. Um, Jonathan Gannon was one of them who was with the Colts at the time, and now he's going to be the Eagles defensive coordinator. Um, Matt House was another one who used to coach at Kentucky. He's like the Chiefs linebackers coach now, and, and the way this was dragging on made me think, like, well, maybe the guy he's looking for is still coaching in the NFL, and that's why they haven't announced anything yet. Um, and then the decision was this, to, to promote from from within. And I, I will say, like, I don't I don't want to be the kind of person who, like, just tells you everything's going to be all right. My, my stance on it is mostly, like, we don't know yet, so, like, I'm not going to get, like, in a tizzy about all this. 
it's possible the Matt Barnes is like a rising star, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. The thing, too, that I thought was kind of funny was that Matt Barnes didn't get a ton of attention because he was just a special teams coordinator. And then when they promoted a quality control coach to be the special teams coordinator, people were outraged by the hire at the position they didn't care about before. <laughs> you know, And I just think it's like funny because it's just – I think that the movements and the hires reflect how you feel as a fan and not necessarily the tactical advantages and disadvantages of what the hire presents. So – like, yeah, it's possible, right? And you, we, we had a, a brief phone call about the potential of this a few days ago, Bill. And didn't you say that he has a, a background that some people might have forgotten about with the, the Legion of Boom stuff? Yeah, like tangentially, yeah. And and it's something that, that I wasn't even aware of at the time when Matt Barnes got hired. And, and I was actually <clears> – <throat> I did a bunch of research on Matt Barnes in this offseason because I was trying to, like, write a profile about him. And then the season went to shit, and I didn't get a chance to write it. I'm hoping – now that he's he's elevated, I'll get a chance to do that. Um, but Matt Barnes is he went to Salisbury State, which I think is now Salisbury University. It's a Salisbury Stakes State. Salisbury Stakes. Um, it's a Division three school, and that's where Dan Quinn went. And Dan Quinn is the former Seahawks defensive coordinator. So, and Dan Quinn like worked for Pete Carroll in two different stints, and in between, he was a defensive coordinator at Florida. And while he was a defensive coordinator at Florida, he hired. Matt Barnes as a quality control coach and that's not to say like Matt Barnes like has existed in this kind of kind of defense but he did work for Dan Quinn who like I like is very familiar with this style of defense so it's not quite the same thing as going out and hiring somebody like right off the Carroll tree but Barnes is related to it and there is a there's a really good YouTube video um, and I linked it in the story that I wrote that went up on the athletic on Wednesday theathletic.com slash four dash six sign up go read the story Matt Barnes did an online coaching clinic, um, I think sometime like last winter, where he talked all about this defense and how they teach the coverages and, and like the philosophy behind the single high cover three Seattle Seahawks kind of style of defense. And like he knows it, it was clear that he knows it really well. And and I don't, I just don't think like every anyone ever really paid attention to that because he was the assistant secondary coach and special teams coordinator. So why would you care all that much? But I do think he's a sharp guy. Um, he recruited somewhat for them like to bridge the gap between Halfley and Combs and was pretty instrumental in getting Jansen done I don't think we have enough body of work to say that he's definitely going to be a good recruiter but I think you can feel pretty good about it but but I always thought whatever this hire was was going to be much more about schematic stuff than it is X's and O stuff because Ohio State's still going to recruit really well and I do think Barnes on some level is kind of similar to the the kind of hire that I thought they might make which would be like an outside person who knows this kind of defense really well like can come kind of like shore it up and and help Kerry Combs teach it and help Kerry Combs get a vibe for it like I think Matt Barnes is kind of that guy just he it's like packaged a little differently so I don't know I I, I'm interested to see how he does I don't I'm not going to tell you he's going to be great I'm not going to tell you he's going to suck um he could, I mean, he could go either way. I have no idea. But I, I do like watching that, that tutorial that he did and that coaching tape that he did. Like I came away pretty impressed with him. And that's just my opinion. But I, I kind of like him in this role. The special teams role is like it's important. I'm not super concerned with that. Um, I do wish that Ryan Day like made an effort to diversify his staff a little more. He's got three black assistant coaches. Uh, I think he should have more. Um, if he's promoting from within, which I think we should talk about too, I think he needs to hire more minority quality control coaches. If that's the case, because I think all but one of his quality control coaches right now are white, and all, and that includes his graduate assistants too. So I would like to see that um, diversify a little bit as well. Um, but I do like, I do kind of like Matt Barnes getting this opportunity. 
I'm still not totally sold on Kerry Combs as the defensive coordinator, and that's like the biggest question in all of this. But but the result of these decisions is Ryan Day doubling down on Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator. Yeah, the 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 biggest takeaway I think from this whole thing is not so much like how good is Matt Barnes going to be from a schematic standpoint. It's whether or not Ohio State is going to perfect the defense or have the personnel for the defense that it was already running. Because it's to me, this is a statement of we like the direction of our schematic um, decisions from how we want to run this defense. It didn't go the way we planned this year because of personnel situations, COVID situations, injuries, like with Cam Brown and stuff. There, there were things that went against them in their quest to perfect this defense. And it's kind of like, to me, a outward statement that they want to continue to try to perfect what they're already doing. And, you know, I think that that is – probably depressing for some people because I think the natural reaction when things don't go the right way is to overhaul whatever didn't go right and change everything and I don't know if that's always the case like Urban Meyer was so good at that right I mean every single time Ohio State had a terrible offensive game or a terrible defensive game where they lost a game they shouldn't have what happened immediately after people got fired people got demoted uh, people got hired like a lot of changes happened and I think like the idea of that makes people feel better when things go wrong is is an important thing to take into consideration. But the other thing to take into consideration, too, is that they lost by a lot to Alabama. You know what I mean? And they beat Clemson with this defense, as you pointed out. Um, they still are in a position right now to compete at the highest level moving forward. And it's just like, do you revamp your entire defense because you got embarrassed by Alabama like everybody else but with a generational team that might go down as one of the best teams in the history of the sport? Or do you kind of look around your room, feel confident about the guys that you have? Kerry Combs is still an excellent recruiter who has a proven track record of of not only signing but developing talent, and you go from there. You know, And I do think, too, that this is Kerry Combs' first year as a defensive coordinator at this level, and I understand that things didn't end the right way. But didn't he like have some built-in cachet at this point of like working at the program for as long as he did and doing the things that he did at this program to like get the benefit of the doubt of what might come? Because it's just the, the speed in which people go from, oh, my God, this is the perfect hire. I cannot – like, wait, actually, they went from how are we possibly going to survive losing Kerry Combs when he left for the Titans to mm-hmm. this is the perfect hire when he came back to, like, this guy sucks so fast. And it's just like, you know, that's the reactionary – uh, reality of, of fanhood and fan reaction but at the same time too i don't know that's a rational viewpoint looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I just I just don't think eight games is enough to scrap it, and that's all. That's what Kerry Combs had, and and it, I thought it was interesting. Ryan Day said two things when we talked to him on Wednesday morning. Um, 
he was talking about like what happened over the course of the, of the Alabama game. And then out of that, he said, do we overreact? No, I'm not going to do that. Not right now. And then at the end, um, he said, now we have a whole year. Once we have a full season to evaluate things, I think as we sit here next year, we'll have a much better feel for where we're at. So it's like Ryan Day hired Kerry Combs to be defensive coordinator because he thought he was the right guy for the job. But he can absolutely be wrong about that. But I think he is not overreacting, as he said, to what happened at the end of the last year. I'm not really either. I'm still like in wait-and-see mode. I just don't think you can make that kind of decision based on eight games. Um if you're if you're canning your defensive coordinator after eight games, I think that makes it really difficult to hire people in the future. I think you need to give people a chance. I think you need to like I think Kerry Combs deserves a chance to show show he can be the guy that can do the job. And I do think some of the things that Ryan Day talked about um, when he announced that Greg Madison was retiring, whatever it was two weeks ago, I think it was now, when he talked about like blending ideas, like someone who knows this system that that's their base, someone who knows some other stuff. And I thought at the time, like maybe Kerry Combs will be end up being the guy who knows the other stuff and like blend that with guys who know that the single high Seahawks stuff. And and I think that's what they have here. It just came in, in, a, in a much different way. Um, so I don't like, I, I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. I, I think it could be, I think it could work out fine. I, I, I Kerry Combs was an interesting hire when he made it. It was a little bizarre considering what the what the base defense was and you bring in a coordinator who has no experience running that defense like everyone got really excited because everyone loves Kerry Combs and I like Kerry Combs as a, as a person too and he's fun to cover but the jury is very much still out on whether or not he can do like the job in this particular defense maybe the defense changes to to better fit what Kerry Combs's strengths are I think that's possible too Ryan Day mentioned that like he, Ryan Day's making it sound like everything's on the table he was kind of talking out both sides of his mouth a little bit he was like I like this scheme but we have a lot of guys in the in the defensive meeting room who have versatile backgrounds and diverse backgrounds who can bring different things to the table. So I'm not totally sure where they're going to go with this. My my guess is that they still keep the base defense that we've seen the last two years and tweak it just a little bit. Um, but it's a base defense again that Kerry Combs like is still learning and and doesn't know the changeups to it and frankly didn't have the personnel I think to do to do some of the stuff they wanted to do last year. So there's a lot of things up in the air right now. Um, the, the the gist of all this, I guess, is like Ryan Day's preference, apparently, is to promote from within at a time where people were really looking for him, I think, to make a kind of like splashy Alabama-like hire. But I do think there's an interesting comparison to be made to Clemson. Like, there's different ways to do this. Um, and Dabo Swinney, again, what I wrote about in the story I wrote, is like a serial in-house promoter. It's like all he does. He hardly ever makes outside hires. And we don't know enough about Ryan Day yet to know whether or not he's going to be that way or not. He's only been on the job for three years and... Um, two of his last three hires, though, have been in-house, Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming. So, like, do you see him copying a Clemson type of model? Dabo, three of Dabo's last four hires have been in-house promotions. Um, and when he had uh, re- to replace Chad Morris, he promoted Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. Like, it's what he does. It's like their kind of culture there, if you want to call it that. And it works for them. He's had remarkable continuity that I think is like an underrated part of Clemson's success. Because that's, a, that's a double-sided coin, right? Because you promote within from a lot, but you also hold on to assistance longer. Like I, I would be very curious too to to see what Clemson's conversion rate in terms of you know average stint as assistants is in comparison to other the other six or seven programs on that same playing field. You know. Oh, well, I can uh, tell you that uh, Brent Venables has been there since 2012. Tony Elliott has been there since 2011. His offensive line coach has been there since 2011. His tight ends coach has been there since 2009. The guy he just promoted to receivers coach was a first full-time assistant, has been there since 2014. His quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator has been there since 2015. 
Um, like, there's one guy, I think, on his staff at the moment who's a full-time assistant who hasn't been at Clemson for, like, at least five years. And those are all pre – and that's pre-Clemson being Clemson, too, mm-hmm. which makes it even more remarkable. So, you know, I think that when – we directly compare Ohio State to Bama and Clemson on this podcast every week. And I think Ohio State would be better served to be more like Clemson than they would be to try to duplicate what Alabama is doing. Because mm-hmm. I think that Nick Saban is probably the only coach in, in America that could do what he's doing at the rate that he's doing it. Now, you know, there's some something going on down there where everything is perfect, and I, you know, would love to just, you know, go into that program and really see what that, like we say, secret sauce is. But I think that sometimes, too, trying to duplicate what – somebody like Saban is doing I think is a big mistake and uh, Ohio State is in a position right now where it's a very attractive place to hire you know people from outside and I think that in the times that's warranted it makes sense like Jeff Halfley for instance was the perfect hire at the time he helped revamp the defense and then after one year was already the head coach at BC you know those people still exist but in terms of continuity too I think that the way that Clemson does it Bill it also promotes people to want to be quality control assistants at Ohio State. And you get better quality candidates to do lower tier jobs because they know, hey, if I stick around and do this when there is inevitable turnover on the staff, then I'm going to be considered for the job, you know? And it kind of, I think, strengthens your entire staff, even to guys behind the scenes that you might not have heard of or or hear about every single day. So um, to me, I think that this makes sense. I think that moving on from Kerry Combs or making a hire that undermines the decision to hire Kerry Combs after that Alabama game, though might be satisfying to people who are still salty about the national championship game, would have been a mistake. Um, If you are a person who believes in Ryan Day's ability to to coach and adjust and hire the right staff, I think you have to blindly trust this is the right thing because, Bill, at the end of the day, what's the case? When things go wrong on the field or when assistants um, being in – uh, in over their heads or incompetent at times uh, manifests in things happening in a bad way on the field who's responsible for that you know and it's just yeah. like these decisions are every bit as important uh for ryan day as whether or not he should go for it on fourth down in a close game in the fourth quarter because every single day these guys are being coached by the people that ryan day puts in place and if those guys suck then ryan day in turn sucks for doing that and you know urban meyer caught a ton of heat and he was already a person who won a national championship um, at Ohio State and three total from Ohio State fans. Like, imagine if the defense is terrible again next year, how people are going to view this program. So I think he understands the stakes. I think he understands and takes this responsibility. And I think as an Ohio State fan, you have to to blindly trust that this is the right course of action and hope that the personnel that they're bringing into the program will help mask some of the issues that, you know, Alabama exposed and that Ohio State will be back to where it should be. And I, I think that Ohio State could beat Alabama with this defensive staff. I think, you know, last year's Alabama version of Alabama was the best maybe version of Alabama of the Nick Saban era. And Ohio State was missing two key defensive players. They didn't have a ton of practice time. They had some crucial injuries earlier in the year. And they might not have just been equipped from a a personnel standpoint to match up with them in any way that they were doing. So eight games is premature. I think this is completely fine. Um, I also trust that a good coach like Ryan Day, who's already proven to make good hires, like with Jeff Halfley, knows what he's looking for. And I think that not rocking the boat too much from a team that just smacked Clemson and made it to the national championship game is probably the right move, especially considering the fact they're about to sign one of the best classes in college football history, recruiting history, and are already putting together another great class. Why, you know, it's not broken. It just needs to be fixed a little bit. Yeah, it needs to be um, 
tuned maybe, up, maybe, maybe patched up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I don't. I don't think it's broken either. Or at least I don't. I don't. Just don't think we know enough yet to say to say whether or not it is. And and I guess the one thing I, I will say about this because you you opened up the the discussion like mentioning Urban Meyer's pitfalls with hiring assistants, which I think are worth mentioning. Um, and he made some good ones for sure. One of them being the guy who's currently the head coach. Um, like Bill Davis was never good anywhere. We knew we had enough information on Bill Davis to know that that was a mistake the day Urban Meyer made that decision. I, I think the same is true of Tim Beck. Tim Beck was like fine, um, and when he got here, was not great. I understand being nervous about that, but like Matt Barnes and Parker Fleming are very young. Um, I like we just don't know about those guys yet, and and I think like I, I don't think people can like worship the ground that Kerry Combs walks on when he's here and be devastated when he leaves. And then after eight games of him as, as defensive coordinator, just like all of a sudden think he's no longer a good coach. Um, and if you weren't on the Combs bandwagon beforehand, like good on you, but I haven't heard from you. So I, I just like, I don't think the situations are, are similar. I, I guess in the end, the results can prove the same, but the process I don't, I don't think is very similar at all. Um, and that would give me a little bit of hope, I guess. If I'm an Ohio State fan, like wondering where Ryan Day is going, I think by and large his staff hires have been pretty good. Um, we're still waiting to see on Combs, Corey Dennis. I don't know if we'll ever get a feel for whether or not that was a good decision because like Ryan Day is actually the quarterbacks coach. Um, but like Al Washington and Jeff Halfley were great hires. I thought Greg Madison was a really good hire. I thought keeping all the offensive staffers that he kept were, were good decisions. So he's not made a, a, a decision yet that I think has been bad. And I think after next year, we'll know whether or not hiring Combs was a bad decision, but I don't think we know that yet. So it just puts them in a really interesting spot. As we talked about before, like the honeymoon phase being over with Ryan Day when they lost to Alabama, right? And, and I think that was true. But he's, I think he's putting like quite a bit on the line with these staffing decisions. It's not to say that like if this doesn't work out next year, he's going to lose his job because I don't think that's the case. But it's like Ryan Day is on the rise right now, and he's banking a lot on his judgment with these coaching hires. And if he's wrong... Um, people are going to view him pretty differently, I think, than, than they viewed him the last two years. Also, you know what it looks like when you make the wrong coaching hire at linebacker coach? When you do it at coordinator, it gets real uncomfortable fast, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I personally believe that Kerry Combs is a, a rational man um, and a good man and somebody who will probably look in the mirror and go, hey, you know, this is something that we, we missed out on or this is a problem that we had, and I think that – I would have confidence based on just the relationship I have with him, but also what I've known about him for covering him for such a long time to think that they can write the ship, you know, and it's just like also the, what what do the best coaches in college football do, Bill? They adapt. They learn from their mistakes. I mean, there's two types of coaches. There's coaches who um, go through and, and try to accumulate as much knowledge and, and to evolve as much as they can during the course of their careers in order to become the best versions of themselves. And there's coaches who blame everybody else but themselves when things aren't going well. And you and I both have had a lot of conversations with two ty- those two types of coaches. And the ones who usually blame everybody else are the ones making excuses when they're fired because they suck. So to me, if you're a, if you're a good coach... You take something like that that sucks and it's a missed opportunity and you know you never want to be that close to winning a national championship and then not winning it. But you take that information, you say, hey, where did I mess up? Where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently beforehand? And then next time you're in that game, you learn from that mistake and you're better at your job because of it. So, you know, it's like coaching is such a hard thing to to gauge. And it's like, especially when you're talking about head coaches, because, you know, there's no blueprint for how 
you can decide how a coach is going to be successful at any place, whether it be geography or whether it be past, you know, mistakes or past um, firings. Like, you know, Ed Orgeron won a national championship at Oregon after being like completely dysfunctional as a head coach at Ole Miss. And it's just like Jim Harbaugh was a slam dunk. And now he had to like take half a salary because his team isn't performing. And it's just like, there's no straight line to, to, to production. And everybody's different. And I just, I feel like Kerry Combs, though he's viewed as like this older, like ancient uh, person who's been around a long time, I think is a very uh, energetic, um, insightful, smart, and accountable person who can make changes to where things went wrong. And I trust that Ryan Day knows that they have the ability to do that. Hell, Kerry Combs is what, 55? I know, I know. It's the white hair, man. I'm looking it up now. Oh, he's 59. He's older than I thought. Yeah. Um, but it is what, no, people viewed him like as, a, as an old dude when he was here before and he was like 50. Um, yeah, he's not, I think, I think he is adaptable. I do, I do think that's true. He's worked in a lot of different schemes um, and his scheme in Tennessee was like very versatile. So I don't doubt that he has like the football acumen to figure it out and exist in kind of different schemes, but that's only part of the job. Part of the job too is, is knowing like what to, what to call and when and having your finger on the on the pulse of the game. And I think that's something you have to grow into, and it's something I didn't feel like he did a particularly good job of last year. Um, and there were some personnel things in, in the mix with that too. But it's not I'm, not – I'm not rating him off yet. And, like, we can have a conversation a year from now about how this was a disaster, and, and that's certainly possible. But I also think it's possible that Kerry Combs gets it figured out. And, and Ryan Day with these decisions is, is betting on, on just that. So – yeah, and if Ohio State were lucky enough to play the 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 versions of Alabama, the game might have gone differently too. Like, I think that that's also part of the equation, and I don't know that, you know, I think people are like, how are you possibly going to line up a 4-4 against a team as explosive as Alabama? And it's just like, I know that that's, uh, you know, a very frustrating thing to think, and watching the game, it was it was tough, but Alabama was a juggernaut this year too, and that also has to be part of the equation. I would advise though not playing with four linebackers moving forward. <laughs> that was that was some bizarre shit <laughs> in the national championship game. <laughs> Why are there four linebackers on the field? Know, um, next time we talk to Kerry Combs, whenever that is, maybe we can just ask some point black, like, "Hey, why were there four linebackers on the field when you're playing against the 1999 St. Louis Rams?" <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Uh, okay, I think I think that can put a bow on the on the defensive hire talk. Do you want to uh, before we wrap up this uh, shorter episode of Four to Six Thing B talk about video games? Yeah, yeah, man, that's a, yes, and pizza rolls and Mountain Dew and pizza rolls and Mountain Dew. So anyway, if you don't care about video games, you can stop listening. But we're going to talk a little bit about EA College Football coming back at some time in the near future. That could be a year from now or six years from now. We have no idea, but. Uh, Caused quite a quite a tizzy on on Twitter on Tuesday. EA announcing that its college football video game is coming back. They have licensing agreements with a hundred schools. They don't have licensing agreements with players, and like that's the next big shoe to drop in this is whether or not actual players are going to be in the game when it comes out eventually. But it was still fun to reminisce about our childhood and not so 
much childhood memories. I still play that game, and I'm 32 years old, uh, of playing NCAA football. You had a really cool story up on The Athletic about... We had a really cool story up on The Athletic. Yeah, yeah, but you got all the credit for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, about I, how I to tweak... You, I tossed you a, a my name was in this. My name was yeah. in the story. I appreciate it. About how to tweak the recruiting in the game, which I thought was really interesting. People should go read that if you're someone who really likes it. But just, like, in general, like, what were your feelings yesterday when you saw, like, that that game was coming back at some point? Tears of joy? Yeah. I was pretty happy. I mean, I don't know what everybody else's childhood was, but I spent an inordinate amount of time playing that game. Now, I know that there are people who, like, got super into Dynasty mode, and I played Dynasty modes, but, like, I was obsessed with online ranked matches and have, having an awesome record online. And the first year that I moved into Columbus, or moved to Columbus to cover Ohio State was in 2009. And I just graduated college, and... I had no friends in Ohio. Uh, my girlfriend broke up with me, and I was at University Village off of Olentangy River Road, which was conveniently located to McDonald's. Um, so I would go from Olentangy, uh, what was that place called? You lived there too, your first year in Columbus too, University Village. University Village, yeah. And um, would, you know, do the Haymaker McDonald's order. I would go back to my apartment and I would play NCAA football online because I had no other outlets. And, like, I had, like, my record, I think, was, like, 275 and 21 that year. Like, I was nice. kicking the shit out of people. And it might have been the best athletic achievement of my life. Um, but, you know, my <laughs> entire life in college, like, all my friends, we'd play. I mean, it was just – NCAA was always just more fun than Madden. It was. To me. Yeah. And I don't know why. Was the gameplay faster or was it just because there are so many different teams and so many more – um, you know, unique stadiums and all the things that come to it. Or maybe it's just because college football is better than the NFL. I like it better. Um, but the fact that they're going to bring it back now, I hope that, you know, you'll be able to go to GameStop or download it at midnight the night it's released, and then people 10 hours later will have, like, the entire sports rosters completely updated so the names are in there and everything. And, like, I I think that it's, like, I don't know what's going to happen with the with the game, Bill, but they could just like release a game that has a bunch of random names, races, sizes, locations of a roster, and then just simply just put the ability to edit the rosters on our own, where you can edit the where they're from and edit, and then just let people who do this do it, and then it, 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 they're not subject to any of the NIL stuff. Now I know that we probably have to wait a few more years before this game comes out. But it seems to me like that's a pretty easy loophole. And I don't know if there's like legal stuff that I don't understand that's involved in that, but why don't they just release a random roster, completely unlock the roster and all the aspects of it to be edited and let people do it? Because people used to do it so fast. I still don't even understand to this day how they did it so fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they still do it because I, I still play with like the rosters from from this past season. I, I don't know, like I'm not a I'm not a expert in the in the law as it pertains to that, but like you can in the in the old game it was still like, okay. Like Justin Fields is not Ohio State's quarterback, but Ohio State's quarterback in the video game is a six foot three, two hundred and twenty pound black kid from Atlanta, Georgia. It's like okay, <laughs> we know who that's supposed to be, and I just don't think they can get away with that. Like, well, why don't they just like randomize it? And yeah, but people- I think I think they can, and I think it, it's an interesting conversation. It's like, are they gonna are they gonna wait to see how all this NIL stuff shakes out? And I and I do think it will shake out in a way that allows players to 
um, like collectively sell their name, image, and likeness to the video game in the same way the NFL Players Association does. Um, at least I think that's how it works. I think that that's going to happen eventually, but I also think it's possible for them to release the game before that happens. Like if they wanted to release it before next football season, I think they could as long as I got all the teams and the uniforms and the stadiums and all that stuff. And then, like you said, just leave it open open for people to create their own roster because that's what everybody does anyway. Like no one – I am not aware of anybody who just like put in the NCAA game and just like played it as is. You either mailed your memory card to someone who lived across the country, or in in a more advanced times, you went on to the EA roster share and, and downloaded something that that someone had already made for you, free of cost too. By the way, which the first great. thing I did when I put the game in back in the day was to go try to find the this, and then it's unbelievable how quick and how uncanny it was because they did a great job. And like I don't know, I can't recall back in the day, but could you like edit where people were from, or was it always like? Braxton yeah. Miller, when he Braxton could. Miller was the quarterback in the game, though, he was from Dayton, Ohio in the game, even though he was from Huber Heights. So, right, like, there's all, like, general right. areas. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, like, that was fine. But, like, they should just release a game where Ohio State's quarterback is a six foot seven uh, or six foot six white guy from Wisconsin. And then, you know, you can do whatever you want with it. Regard- and depending yeah. on who wins the quarterback job, you know, edit it. So, right. um, I don't know what they're going to do with the game. Um, I think that if they just release it on the Madden engine and just change the uniforms and stadiums and stuff and put out the generic roster, it would suck uh, because you'd want them to put some time into it. But I also think that everybody on earth would buy it in year one while we waited for them to do the next year's version. So if they, I mean, all I think all they have to do, honestly, for it to be a bestseller is to update the graphics and put in all the recruiting stuff that they had in the past and release the same exact game on the Madden engine and then go from there. Like, I don't know why we have to wait two years for it to come out. I I don't know what they actually did. It never felt to me like they were just using the Madden engine and changing the play. Like I, I always thought the NCAA game was a much better simulation of football than Madden was. Madden always had like a little bit better graphics, or at least was like a head on the graphics. But I thought the gameplay itself was much more realistic and entertaining, and like in a lot of ways, like less glitchy. I think than than Madden was. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, or is and yeah, Madden still is really glitchy. Um, but I I just mean like. If the options are wait two years while they wait for NIL stuff to pass and then figure out how they're going to release the rosters because they're unsure of how, or it is release the game as quickly as they can sooner, I would take the first, the second option because we want the game. Like it would yep. be cool to be able to like do dynasty mode. And, and honestly, I was talking with this about some other reporters, and I don't know about if you agree with this, but playing that game also gives you a better knowledge of the sport. Absolutely. It's like if you're playing yeah. like. Purdue versus Northern Illinois and the Northern Illinois running back has a star under his name and like you know who he, you didn't know who that was before and then that guy roasts you in the game like you have an institutional knowledge now watching it that Northern Illinois running back's a badass in real life mm-hmm. now I know that that's not necessarily what would happen if they did randomized rosters but you know the thing too Bill is we've covered Ohio State for 10 years and we've asked a thousand players what they think about the game not existing and every single one of them says I'm sad it doesn't exist and it's like I know the whole thing about it is like they're not compensated, and that's what kind of brought an end to this. And what was the big uh, lawsuit called? I can't remember, but you know the big lawsuit, was, uh, O'Brien or O'Bannon or O'Bannon. And uh, you know, but I feel like the players want to be in the game too. You don't think Justin Fields would want a video game of like a six foot three, two hundred and forty pound quarterback number one, like just with a star under his name? Like everybody knows who it is, so. You know, I'm just so happy that it happened because it was the best game ever, and I feel like video games kind of started to suck for a lot of people like me who really spent 80% of their time on gaming playing that one game. 
Yeah, I play. I still play video games from time to time, but I play them. I play them much less than I used to. One because I'm older, but two because like that was the game I played all the time. Like I play Madden. I hate it, but I play it because it's the only football game available to play. And if college football was ever available again, I would stop buying Madden because I don't like it. I just don't think it's a good video game experience. Um, It's also not nearly as gratifying to create a dynasty and take the. I don't know who's the Jacksonville Jaguars, for lack of right. better of example, to the Super Bowl than it would be to try to make Ohio U a top ten program. Yeah, like it's like trying to do things that actually can't occur in real life. It's like NFL is the most parody of any sport there is, and every single team. It doesn't matter if you play online with Madden, you get this because I play Madden on PS Five sometimes, and when you play online, it doesn't matter who that person's team is. They've got like six awesome players. You know what I mean? And it's just like their uniforms are different, and but no matter who you have, like you have a good team. And in college, like trying to build a roster and being a coach and all the stuff that was fun about dynasty mode just doesn't exist in the NFL. Yeah. I, I also think maybe I'm, I'm feeling extra nostalgic for it because I've been on our, on a recent string of getting my ass kicked in Madden, just like demolished. I lost play. 82 to nothing yesterday. <laughs> I lost 82 to nothing yesterday. And you're, we'll have to talk about this off the podcast, but these people, I don't know if they watch YouTube videos or buy the, like the manual, but this guy was running quarters defense, and he was shooting his defensive ends out. And these defensive ends were blowing my off- my offensive tackles off the side of the ball. And somehow, simultaneously, I didn't have any time to throw. I couldn't run because they were inside jetting out. And I and when I threw it, there were eight defensive backs back. And it's like, you can't do everything. Right. Like, if you call a quarters defense, and I'm playing with the Browns, I should be able to rush for 120 yards with Nick Chubb. Yeah. And it's just like, there's people who have these defenses, and I don't know if it's a bunch of like audibles that they call before the play to make them work that way but i couldn't get if you can't score a point in a video game then you should just stop playing it and that's what happened to me yeah no that's what's happening to me too it's frustrating i never had i never played um ncaa football online i don't know why maybe i just didn't think of it like my thing with ncaa was i always did dynasty mode for sure and and i did what everybody did you pick a shitty program like eastern michigan and try to get them to the national championship and that was really fun but i also liked the um what was it called road the glory where you like create a guy and like you just control that guy and i would uh like go in when i was in high school and like create my high school uniforms and then put myself i was a quarterback instead of an offensive lineman but i put myself on my high school team and then like went through the state playoffs and then picked the college and did all that stuff like i thought that was really fun too was that the mode where if you were the quarterback and you threw it then like the receiver would just run its own route and if he caught it then you don't get to control the receiver right like the right, only you thing just you do is control the one player yeah. yeah i always found it frustrating because if you if you weren't the quarterback, then you didn't touch the ball on every play. Right. And if you were the quarterback, then after you completed a pass, you had to just sit there and watch it. And I just like video games are all about being a part of the action. I like how the thing automatically changes to whoever has the ball in their hands. Um, but I like the fact that like doing the story, and if you haven't seen it and you're a big NCAA football fan, um, please go read it on The Athletic. But Bill and I, he helped me put together what I think the recruiting section should look at um, like – for dynasty mode in the new video game and we came up with a lot of pretty cool ideas but i don't i was pretty impressed by even in 2013 and 14 when this game stopped being made how detailed the recruiting section was already you know with all the advancements now in recruiting um and how different it is and i think recruiting is more mainstream than it was in 2013 just from a fan engagement standpoint like i think that'll be a very fascinating thing to see how they end up working that now um, in terms of like what the game already was, if they just if they just released the same the improved version of the same game they released in fourteen, I think everybody would be ecstatic. Um, and then when NIL comes, like I don't know if that means that a current 
like would Trevor Lawrence have been on the cover this year because he's still in, he's allowed to make money off of his name, image, and likeness, and is still in the sport, or they're just going to do the person who just recently graduated the previous year. I don't know how they would do it, but just the idea that we're able to you know get back into the horseshoe or get back into the big house and play these games. I'm just it's like. I don't know, like I'm 33 going on 34 in July, and I don't know like how much longer I have for the passion of video games because of uh, how much time I spent playing when I was a kid. But like I'm super – I haven't been more excited for a video game to come out in my entire life. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited about it too. And uh, I, I want to end on, on this. I was listening on Tuesday night. You, you invited me to that new uh, app called uh, Clubhouse, which is like a thing for cool kids. Yeah, have and you used it? I, guess I, was, I, used, it on, I used it on Tuesday night because um, Darren Ravel, who I know like is off-putting to some people, um, hosted like a roundtable with um, a couple of lawyers, a couple of sports agents. Actually, one of them was Chris Holman's agent, which is kind of interesting. Um and they were talking about this game and like the trademarking and all that stuff. But their final question I thought was an interesting one. And I'll end it and I'll ask you the same thing. When do you think we'll be playing this game? Like, when do you think it's going to come out? And when it does come out, will it have the actual players in it? I think we are not going to get the game until your the NIL passes. And I think the game will be, um, it won't be for this upcoming season. I think it'll be, if I had to guess, will be released a year from August, just based on my guess. Because I think the NI, when is the NIL stuff supposed to pass? Isn't it supposed to pass going into this next year? Well, some stuff, I think, like, nationally, I'm not sure, but state by state, it's on a different timeline. Like, I think Florida's NIL law goes into effect, like, this summer. Yeah, yeah. It's it's The reason why there is NIL in the NCAA is because certain local governments have decided to create laws where you can't prevent people from making money off of their name, image, and likeness in general, regardless of whether they're an athlete or not. Mm-hmm. But there's no way that the NCAA can exist. And I think I should do a story on this. I was talking to our editor about this, but just like calling like 10 or 15 um, recruiting coordinators and just asking them like what they anticipate NIL is going to do. You know, and it, maybe it'll be anonymous or maybe it won't. But just like, what does the people who are involved in it every single day think is going to happen? But I don't think that there's any possible way, Bill, that they can have a um, system where Florida is operating under NI, different NIL laws than Texas or Ohio or California. Like there has to be, and this is the thing that I used to freak out about back in the day when they thought the season was going to get canceled and the Big Ten was going to play in the spring and the SEC was going to play in the fall. It's like there's different rules now for different teams. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be uniformity in the sport. And I know that the biggest problem with the sport is lack of it from a leadership standpoint, but they always seem to find a way to make sure that everybody's playing by the same rules. And like if Florida's like, you can't go to Alabama because in Alabama you're not allowed to uh, you know, make money off of your name, but here we'll give you an extra $20,000. That's bullshit. You can't do that. It's like, what's the point? So I think that once that all one goes into effect, they all will simultaneously in terms of how the NCAA is going to try to like put guidelines on it. But um, I think it won't happen until not this season, but the next season. Yeah. That, I think summer 2022 um, is when we'll see it. And when we see it, I agree. I think, I think we'll have actual players in the game, which will be really cool. And I don't know if they'll actually have their names. Like, I don't know if like the, CJ Stroud's going to be on the cover of it in two years. Like, it'll be interesting because all the current players are so excited about it. Um, and I just said CJ Stroud because he's a quarterback at Ohio State. But, like, I don't know if a current player going into their junior year who's a superstar is going to be on the cover or if it's going to be the person who left the previous year or not. Um, but I also don't know, too. Like, they might still just like release the rosters the way they used to numbers, locations, general heights and weights, race, and like not have their names on it, but still compensate the players. Like, I don't know how advanced it's going to get, but 
it's like it's so crazy too with the transfer portal and walk-ons and rosters the way that i mean it's just so much more to keep track of but it'd be really cool if 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 ea sports manage the rosters the same way they do every time you turn madden on and they automatically update with waiver wire moves yeah. and trades and all the things that you know you have to take into account in the nfl but like in the in college football it's so much more it's like what do you do with tate martell it's like, is he not in the game because he's not with the team? Like, if, you know well, what if I mean? If he's not, like, I'm not buying it. I'll tell you that yeah. much. Tate Martell, UNLV, <laughs> cover of NCAA, two years from now, book it. Yeah. By the way, Tate's in the portal. We, didn't, we haven't talked about that, but he's in the portal. Um, Do you have any he idea of like where he, he might end up or like where <clears throat> no, you would think no he would end up? I don't know. I mean, I hope, I hope he goes to a place that's going to let him play quarterback. Um, and I hope he doesn't go to like a Power 5 program where he probably doesn't have a, a strong chance of playing quarterback. I do think I tweeted this in the day Tate went into the portal. I said uh, Greg Schiano should call Tate Martell. Um, he should. And he's I, got I glory days on on the field. I also th- I also think like I don't know maybe James Franklin should kick the tires on Tate Martell. They need a quarterback too. <laughs> I'm not, I don't really I'm not really sure if Tate Martell is actually better than Sean Clifford. Well, here's the question. Not, here's the question, man. And this is the thing that is so fascinating to me about Tate Martell and his like Hollywood production of a return video. That was great. <laughs> Is he good enough to be the starting quarterback at, um, I don't know, Kansas? Is he good enough to be the starting quarterback at Baylor? Or is he like a FCS uh, group of five quarterback? Like, is he the quarterback at UNL? Is he good enough to play quarterback in college somewhere? And it's yeah. like, it, he was a miss at Ohio State, but being a miss at Ohio State doesn't mean you can't be the starter at Oregon State. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know if I'd be excited to see him go play FCS somewhere, but if he ends up like getting a chance to start at quarterback at a school that needs a shot in the arm from a guy who's got, you know, I don't know, is Tyjon Lindsay, where is he? Is he out of the league? I was just going to say, I think Tyjon Lindsay might be at Oregon State. Because that's why I said Oregon State. It's like they, they won a lot of games together, and, and, you know, I don't know. Getting the band back together with teams that and players that, that flame out in the college level isn't necessarily a um, – a recipe for success but like if you're a a team like arizona for instance who has a new coach and is trying to you know compete with arizona state like and and phoenix has had a lot of quarterbacks they missed out on like do you try is tate good enough to be the starting quarterback in arizona from a quarterback skills standpoint in your mind um yeah i think maybe arizona Uh, i think like lower level power five i think he could do okay i wouldn't want him if i was a team that was like competing for like conference championships or major bowl games that kind of stuff um no i don't i don't think i'd want him but yeah anybody on the lower tier of the p5 certainly in the in the g5 i think he can play yeah i mean i just like don't know like is he gonna go be a star at ucf or is he gonna go be a guy who gets his head beat in at kansas like i don't even know yeah or is he gonna be the starting quarterback in unlv that goes five and five and he has some cool plays like i just don't even know the thing that's so a kind of crappy about how much hype there was about Tate Martell it kind of like is reminds me of Torn Skipson a little bit of like we never really got a chance to see what he was really actually capable of and while he was at Ohio State I don't know if it was lip service from the coaches or what but they seemed to think that he was maturing and was a good teammate and you know actually there was a time where we thought he was gonna maybe replace somebody to be a starting quarterback there mm-hmm. and it's like it went from that to like in and out of the locker room at Miami every other week and we didn't even know is that because he didn't like his position there, or is it because he's just not good enough? And like we don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's probably some combination of both. I would think. Like he, I, I think he would tell you that he didn't handle that very well, and clearly he didn't seem to. Um, he also got kind of 
I don't want to say screwed over, but like he he committed there, and then um, it's a kid from Houston with the guy now that's starting. Yeah, Derek King. Derek King. Yeah, Derek King showed up. It's like he went there thinking like he'd had to beat out like Nikosi Perry. Yeah, um, and I think maybe he could have done that. Uh, but once the Eric King showed up, like Tate was not going to be the quarterback of Miami. So I hope, I don't know. I hope he, la- I know people, I think most Ohio State fans don't particularly care about Tate Mardell and I get it. I just like to have fun about it on Twitter and I do want to see him. I think he's genuinely entertaining. I would like to see him play. I think that you should do like a, a five schools that I would like to see Tate Martell land at post. I thought and like, about it. And like, I think it might actually do really well. And I don't know, like if he's a free agent right now, but you have his dad's number, don't you? I think you could probably get him. Like if you tried super hard and like, what about the university of Houston? You know, like the place that King came from. You yeah. can you can do some fun and exciting. And those are the games we all love to freaking watch during the week, during football season. It's like, I don't know that I'm going to tune in to watch him play like Oklahoma versus Kansas State or whatever. Well, not Kansas State. They just signed a top 100 player but at quarterback. But, you know, you get my point. I don't know that he's going to be a, a power five star, but like he could go put up monster numbers at, a, at an American team, right? I don't know. I mean, does he, it's just like whether or not yeah. he has the arm for it. I, I just... I think you can design a successful college football offense around him at that level for sure. Um, I totally agree with like, and Ryan Day's never said this, but I think Ryan Day's assessment was like, this kid's not good enough to do what Ohio State needs to do. And I, I agree with that. Um, but I do think you can design a good offense around him. Um, and I will say, worth keeping in mind, the first head coach that Tate ever committed to, Steve Sarkeesian, <laughs> yeah. who like Sam Ellinger is leaving Texas, right? Uh, I don't know. They got guys there. They got Hudson Card. It's too big but. of a spot, man. No, I don't. I don't think he yeah. can actually play yeah. there. But he committed to Steve Sarkeesian in eighth grade. There was a time when Steve Sarkeesian liked eighth grade Tate Martell. There's a lot of uh, changes that happen in Tate's life between eighth grade and now. I think, but yeah, you know, I, I, um, I don't know. San Jose State. They had a great year this year. You know, I don't know. San Diego State. Like I, I, I like. That's where he's just, from. I, I put him in a in my mind of like where he feels like he would fit in. Like Miami felt perfect when he did it. Yeah. Because it was like the big bad you, the guy with the attitude. Like, you know, every, but like people have like turned him into a villain. And it's like, I don't know that he's a villain. I just think he's a kid who never lost the high school game, who was a five star prospect, who still thinks that's the case. And it's like once he gets humbled into understanding what he is and if he finds the right spot, like I hope he gets a chance to try to play. Like I, he's never gone into fall camp with a head to head matchup to be the starter before. And it's like, I want to see him in that environment and see if he can do that. Because even when he was at Ohio State, there was never really a straight line between three weeks of camp, we're going to decide this, and then here we go. It's like, look at all the quarterbacks that started at Ohio State while he was there. It's like, he's not better than any of those guys. That doesn't mean he's not good enough to play at San Diego State. Right. Yeah, no, I'm fascinated to see where he ends up, um, because frankly, there's not much else going on in college football. Like, the transfer portal is active, but I'm not totally sure what Ohio State's going to do there. Ryan Day, like, was pretty adamant, and he feels good about their personnel. I still think maybe they could look to add a defensive back or a linebacker, but um, Tate Martell has my attention in the transfer portal, that's for sure. Um, Okay, we'll wrap up there. We said we were going to do, like, 30, 35 minutes, and instead we did an hour. So, uh, I think... Well, let me say this first, uh, quick like housekeeping stuff. Ryan Day said they're aiming for April 17th for the spring game. That's like very much aiming for or not set in stone, but that's what they would like to do. It's like a uh, soft blueprint, I guess, they have for what spring might look like. And he said like four weeks of spring practice starting mid-March and, and trying to play a spring game on April 17th if they can. April 17th, by the way, would coincide with visits being allowed to happen if the, the dead period is lifted by then, which which might happen. So, um they're in the winter workouts. Spring ball, we think, is on the horizon. We have a lot to talk about. I think next week we will not have a show because I'm taking um, a couple of vacation days. So uh, 
unless something crazy happens, then, then we will do one. But otherwise, I think we'll not have a show next week, and we'll be back to talk with you guys in two weeks. So until then, thanks for listening.